You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour. And Herds, it's time for our final week on No Crime in the Mountains. Flex, this is still a rubbish title. There was even more crime in the mountains. Even more than I could ever have expected. Several murders. At least, what, three murders? Three and a half. (laughs) If a crime happens in the mountain and everybody dies... But not everybody died. This isn't a, a horror movie Well, maybe that's situation. what the title is foreshadowing. This isn't, no. Maybe no. there's an unwritten sequel to this book where everyone dies. You know what? I'm okay with that. If that's the play, look, if that's Chandler's play that he secretly got this, like, unreleased sequel where everybody dies in the mountains, Well, I'm okay with there's that. There's more than an unreleased sequel. <gasps> he actually turned this into a full novel. Oh, really? Did he? Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah, this is based off uh, Chandler's later novel, The Lady in the Lake. The Lady in the Lake. So it got expanded into this much larger, much more grandiose scale murder mystery. Is well, what yeah, is what I'm hearing. There's, a, there's a collection. Yeah, there's a few of his short stories that he kind of piled into this one book called The I Lady see. in the Lake. One of the oh. stories that he compiled into it was The Lady in the Lake. Of course, but as you do. Yeah, it's one big novel starring Philip Marlowe, his, uh, mm. his main detective. Uh, not Evans. Evans gets pushed to the side. Evans, uh, oh, Evans, Evans is thought by some to just be a precursor name for Philip Marlowe. Interesting. He's like the he's the prototype. If you've been reading along with us and you thought to yourself, "Geez, that's a generic name." Raymond <laughs> Chandler agreed. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, in either case, Evans finally gets his man at the end of the novel, though not in the way that he expects, which mm. is exciting. We get to follow the, uh, in, in chapters 10 to 14, I had a great time look reading through this. I really enjoyed myself going through this crime novel, racing through the bush, handling deer rifles, shooting Nazis. Yeah, it gets this pretty is, over the top. Is the thing. It's, it's not anything I wasn't expecting, but it was still kind of surprising, especially when they just, they just throw on the H word around. Yeah. Just throwing it around. Poor Kurt is like, I'm going to die with dignity. Nope. He has to throw it out one more, just one hile before he gets out. What a crazy man. Yeah, it's uh, it was pretty intense. Like, as we were discussing on a previous episode, you can definitely tell that it was feeling the ongoing war mm. at the time that it was written and you know, the lead up to that. But uh, it gets pretty on the nose compared Incredibly. to how it was uh, before that. Yeah. I will say, though, I, I definitely appreciated that they weren't just monstrous villains, right? This isn't like some video game where there's just Nazis everywhere and it's, you know, they're horrible, evil people, torture and whatever. Like, Kurt dies with some dignity and even uh, even Luda's at the end has some shred of humanity. Yeah, I think that it's very well done in that all of the characters, um, particularly the the lines going out at the end where Ludus mm. is actually saying his last farewells. Yeah, totally. I really enjoyed uh, kind of puzzling out that last little discussion that Ludus has where he's, Evans is kind of saying like, I think this is what's happening and you're like flying the money out for Mexico, which whatever, who... Hi there, don't Mexico, even, where did you come from? Don't even talk to me about <laughs> Mexico. I literally, anyway... There is no mention of mines or banks or Mexico anywhere in the novel up until that chapter, but it doesn't matter. The point is that Ludus is getting this whole, like, oh, you think you figured out how? Well, tell me. And they're like, oh, well, we think that it's money flowing out from Mexico. We got a man out there with a deer rifle, and you stand no chance against him. And they're just like, oh, how are we even get it? Look, that's a, that's a lie. You're totally just pulling our leg. But I think Ludus knows. <laughs> I think Ludus knows yeah. that he's in for it at that point. He's like, yep, they've got a sniper out there. I'm not getting out here alive. Might as well just off myself um, in an incredibly dramatic moment where he pulls the gun. He pulls the Luger out, aims it at the, uh, at the you know, the detective and the sheriff. 
I did see the case made online that the story was in fact prophetic towards prophetic. the uh, the victory in Europe in World War Two. Not a terrible way of looking at it. I like it. I mean, it's very clear, like you know, written in written in uh, written in America. Obviously, we're going to be very like anti-Nazi in this situation. Or I suppose. You know, we we got Japan and Germany rolled up in mm. this, which is exciting uh, with Charlie. Uh, we're only missing Italian at this point. Uh, but yeah, obviously it's going to have that undertone of like, we're going to beat the, the mean Germans who are in our country, taking our money and putting fake money in. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like crime spy novels written around the time that really hinge on those tensions. Yeah. Um, the main one that comes to mind for whatever reason is Where Eagles Dare, although I don't know if that's a particularly prominent example. I haven't read that one, so I'd say not. Yeah, but it was interesting towards the end of the novel. Like, you know, obviously there was this question going through that you had of like, okay, which nationality is who? Because it was very mm. vague to start out with. It was. But then by the end, it's just using the epithet every time yeah like charlie the jap charlie yeah. the jap well yeah i mean even in the like even last episode i was saying you know uh well charlie is our japanese gunman and looters and and co and the the, the maids like they all seem to be german like mm. is this a family no like they just go full like it, it's the german government they're funding this whole shebang yeah um which is exciting i wasn't sure if we'd quite get to such a like high scale level it's the like core part of the crime in the mountains it's true it is the center of the entire crime ring that's going on here is they're trying to travel this counterfeit money into the american market yeah it's like the entire thrux of the crux rather of the of the operation but yeah uh, i will say i quite like the sheriff coming to the end of the novel yeah out of all the characters good. i think he might be my favorite <laughs> he's very no nonsense he's pretty intelligent um, and he does give the man 40 yards, give him credit. The sheriff is an honorable, like he, like that's a very good callback. Actually. I really liked that. He was like, I'll never, I'll give a man 40 yards Evans. And then later on it comes back and yeah. we just see this little, that like, was, Japanese that was man. perhaps the most literal check of gun we've had on this show. That was beautiful. And then Charlie just dives into the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. No, I thought it was really excellent. I, I really loved, um, Baron's whole discussion at the start of chapter 12 where he's like, oh yeah, I just, yeah, I had a gun under his arm. Like, I'm not giving him the time of day. I'm not letting him go out there and cause more trouble. Mm. He's a very consistent character in that. I feel like, sure. you know, Luda's and Charlie started to get very caricaturish by the end. That is, yeah, that is absolutely true. I wasn't going to like dwell on it too much, but like we have a short Japanese gunman who speaks in that certain way that like even when the, uh, you know, he, he, we just say his dialogue and know yeah. his nationality. It's like, is this a Japanese caricature? Is that where we're going with this? Like, mm. By the time we get that final showdown with Ludens and Charlie running off, the, the entire mystery is gone and it's yeah. just it, the, the tough boys versus the, those weird foreign dudes. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, um, I, I definitely think, like, I enjoyed at the start of the novel uh, thinking about the ant on the gun mm. barrel and trying to puzzle that, being like, is this actually a clue that he's not dead the entire time? But as, I mean, as you saw by the end of our last episode, yep. I was like, there is no, this is pointless. Like, there is no real mystery here. Um, like, the, there is, like, the question of what's happening in the story, but I don't think that there was too much more of a mystery than you would expect from, like, a, a regular novel, right? Like, I think it comes back to when we're talking about the like the foreign powers plot of like there was Mexico and they're like introducing the money into the in, in America and stuff. Like it kind of comes back to one, one of Chandler's rules number six. It must baffle a reasonably intelligent reader. Yeah, like I definitely felt baffled at points, but it was never like I should try and figure this out. It was more like 
I don't know where I'm supposed to go with this piece of information. Yeah, it was I'm more just going to wait and see. <laughs> it was more just confusing than it was necessarily yeah, puzzles. I, I don't even know if it was confusing. I never felt like completely lost. I just kind of said, you know, I think that Raymond Chandler's going to, you know, wrap this up with some action scenes at the end, which is what he did. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's well, confusing in the same way that a crossword puzzle is to a maze, whereas a crossword mm, puzzle, you know how long the letters are, you know what's going to fit in sure. the box. Whereas a maze, you can be in it and you don't really have a perspective yeah, of how yeah, big yeah. it is. It's not a bad one. It's not a bad one, but yeah. Yeah, I do think that it does stick down his rules pretty well. I I mean, his rules are obviously a lot more just general storytelling yeah. advice than they I mean, are. Yeah, the more I think about his rules, the more I think they were like reactionary to like Nox's or Van Dyne's rules in that sense that they're more about like, this is how a murder mystery should be written. You know, like, this is how we, like, create engaging scenes and story that matters and it feels realistic rather than just creating, like, a puzzle to be solved. Yeah, I couldn't actually find a source for Chandler's rules because there's so many different places all around the internet yeah. that have just ripped it and copied it with no citations or anything, mm -hmm. um, which is a little frustrating. Uh <laughs> But I, because they're titled The Ten Commandments, I very much imagine they are in direct response to Knox. Yeah, that's the impression that I get for sure. Yeah, I think ultimately, though, you can understand at this point uh, why I chose to end last part where I did. Sure. Um, and we'll discuss that like more out on the table in the next part when we talk about how fair the story is. But uh -huh. I think that there's very clearly a distinction between the puzzle in this novel and the puzzle of a conventional detective look, story. Look, all I'm going to say, Flex, is where are my points? Where were the points? That is the question that I want to answer in the next part. I guess we will find out then and there, Herds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Looking forward to it. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing the last five chapters of No Crime in the Mountains. We'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are talking No Crime in the Mountains. And Herds, this is it. This is the first episode where it's just us. Oh my goodness. There's so much room in the studio right now. <laughs> like, I can't even, I can only hear two people breathing. What's going on in here? This is crazy. Well, Herds, I wanted to sit down because this is our last regular episode for the year before oh, yeah. a special that we're doing next week to mm. round out the year. Mm. And uh, we'll talk more about that at the end of this episode. So stick around to the end then. Herds. Flex. We're going to be away for a few weeks over the end of the year, Christmas and New Year's. So... We have to cover that gap with something, and I thought we should rank and review our favorite novels from the year. Flex, you know what? That sounds like an excellent idea. I think we should take the 11, 11 stories? Yeah, 10 books in a movie that we've done, plus our special secret story that we're covering next the week. The secret source. The secret source uh, from Too Many Cooks that we're going to try and rank them uh, from most recommended to least recommended or other way around least recommended to most recommended mm -hmm. and uh yeah we're gonna see which ones i thought were my favorites and which ones were your favorites yeah and we're gonna see how that goes before we actually get into the list herds because mm. we have discussed this before we're not sitting down and arguing with you now we will argue mm. we will argue our top three coming up mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. we actually get to review season but what was your favorite story from the year and why was it Too Many Cooks? I mean, wow, okay. <laughs> Don't even give me a chance. I've thought long and hard about this. But yeah, it's, it's Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks was fantastic. It was such a delectable little treat. It was something that I, I was not expecting to find a novel that was both excellent in its storytelling and yeah. its characterization and also had a pretty solid mystery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's go from this list, bottom to the top. Let's do it. Surprising nobody herds. Yeah. Bottom of the list. 
The Floating Admiral. Oh, The Floating Admiral. I feel so sad for it. It was excellent in concept, and I'm sure it was fun to, to write up and puzzle out in the moment for the Detection Club, but in execution, it feels meandering. Yeah. And it's it's got, it's got some problems. <laughs> yeah, they passed it around. Each of them wrote a chapter. None of them knew what the other's solution yeah. was. And as entertaining as it was to read all of their different solutions, mm. I do think it would have been stronger if they'd gone around, yeah. done an outline first, and then done a cohesive yeah. novel. And uh, following the floating amber with a, a big gap here, mind <laughs> you, uh, we got the La Rouge case. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed reading through. It's a story with a lot of heart and a lot of love. Uh, but it, due to its serialized nature and just the fact that it's plain old, uh, it, it mm. suffers from we did it better itis. <laughs> um, so many more authors have written murder mystery since this novel came out, in like the, the 18th century. This is a long, long time ago, uh, and they're just better. So, as exciting as the Luge case is from a historical perspective. I, it's difficult to recommend to someone, you know, getting into the murder mystery genre right now. Was it the um, 18th century? It was, it was the 19th century. Point is, it was a long time it's ago. The numbers start with 1-8. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Point is, it's an old novel. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that one. Coming up next, Herds, I'm disappointed to see it this far down the <laughs> list, but I understand the Benson murder case. Look, it's a dry novel. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, look... There's much more to be said about its author, mm -hmm. S.S. Van Dyne, A.K. Wood, Hunter Jim Wright, than about the novel itself. Mm. Um, so, again, it's another one of those those stories where, like, if you're interested in the history of murder mystery, if you want to read about some insane, crazy man who wrote murder mysteries but also critiqued them heavily and just was high all the time on cocaine – um, check out the Benson Murder Case and yeah. its author because that's a it's a hilarious read. Uh, following up the Benson Murder Case, we have the Tales from Two Pockets. Or the Tales from One Coffee Table as the case. One maybe. single coffee table, yeah. This is a story that we that we quite enjoyed. Uh, well, a series of stories, I should mm. say. A series of short stories. Um, there's kind of story behind this is that Carl Chipek, he decided to just write a mystery story a day. And because of that, we can see how he's like perspective changed mm. from one story to the next, changing from this like happy girl, lucky fun time murder mystery to like a very serious breakdown of why people read murder mystery stories. And I kind of love it. I think the main problem that this book has is that it, all of the stories don't weave an overall narrative. It is just exactly. a yeah, broad yeah. deconstruction. Yeah, yeah. And that means that it's very easy to just pick up and yeah, go, it's, but it's it also easy. means that yeah. it's the least worth picking up. Yes, Put it exactly. on your coffee table, keep it there when you're bored and you have five minutes, pick yep. it up and read one. Read one. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't ever recommend powering through it in one go unless you were really, you know, in, in craving that murder mystery yeah, yeah. fix. For sure, for sure. What's up next, Flex? Up next, Herds, The House in the Mist. Mm. I think we both maybe would have liked to put this one higher up the list. But the problem is, is that as with the Tales from Two Pockets, it's very much a coffee table book. Yep. It's short. It doesn't really get anywhere. It's a lot of fun. It does an absolute masterclass in murder mystery atmosphere. Mm. And I'd love to go and look at uh, Anna Catherine Green's The Leavenworth Case yeah. and see how she put that into play in a more conventional murder mystery story. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's, it's just a fun read with a good atmosphere yeah. that I, you know, I would still recommend, but not as highly as the other things on this list. Yeah, it's got some excellent characters in the story. The, like, evil family gathered for the family conference is fantastic. Mm. Uh, but, of course, the, the other stories in the collection, The Ruby and the Cauldron, The Hermit of Blank Street, uh, are not nearly as strong as yeah. the preceding story. And then Herds, how did this end up in the bottom half of the list? <laughs> yeah, the we got uh, the three taps there. <laughs> I Look, I still really enjoyed the three taps. I probably would have put a higher files on my own just for entertainment value. Um, but it is definitely a story that gets 
it, it's strong as it at start when you're not sure what to expect and you're reading all these, you know, fantastic descriptions mm. um, of, of comedy and whimsy and the indescribable. The description of the indescribable, it's it's fantastic. Uh, but the story kind of, I, I think it just ends kind of poorly. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't quite... Uh, it doesn't quite reach that height of excitement that you expect from the, the grand revealing of a murder mystery novel. Um, although it is definitely one that, that benefits from being read with friends, I think, especially with how the, the police detective and the, and the regular detective and his wife, they all kind of collaboratively move through the clues mm. and try to piece things together from different sides of the table. Uh, and just above the three taps, which you fought uh, tooth and nail for. Oh, I did. Uh, the Kennel Case. I did. Tell us about this, Flex. This is a fantastic film. William K. Everson, film historian, who we've quoted far too many times on this show with this fact, mm. said that this is the greatest adaptation of a golden age murder mystery for the screen. I completely agree. Sure. It's fantastic. It has all of that wonderful charm of old talkies where they were trying new things, getting things done. It's very snappy. It's very quick. It's very intelligent with what it cut from the book. Mm-hmm. And... As far as murder mystery films go from the golden age, I I couldn't recommend anything else above it. You said that I fought tooth and nail for the kennel murder case. Oh my goodness. But I fought fought sword and shield for this one. (laughs) Sins for Father Knox coming up in fifth place. Yeah. This was my favorite story for the year. I know it was. And you put it in like, what is this, fifth place? Yep. Oh, what have I done? I've done you dirty. But no. Here's here's the thing. (laughs) Is as much of a mess as the mathematicians of Grizzly Drive may have been, as you know, much of a convoluted introduction to the murder mystery genre as this may be, because it, mm-hmm. you know, it's breaking down the rules of the genre in yeah. your face. Mm-hmm. I still think that for all of the things that we said we wanted to see murder mystery stories do through the mm-hmm. year, this did a lot of them. It did. And it did a lot of them in a really entertaining way. The solutions, barring the mathematicians of Grizzly Drive, are excellent. <laughs> the overall arcing narrative of it is phenomenal. And I, I'd be very interested to see what a murder mystery newbie would come in and sure. say about it because obviously it's a bit of a weird introduction to the mm-hmm. murder mystery genre. And rounding out, our bottom nine. <laughs> bottom nine. That's a lot for a bottom. But yeah, we got cr- No Crime in the Mountains. A surprise contender. Fourth place. In fourth place. Yeah, almost making it into that top three slot. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just a f- fantastic novel to read. It's yeah. not so great as like a regular like uh, puzzle murder mystery, but in terms of engaging the reader mm. and finding a novel that someone can easily access... This is the one. This yeah. is the modern detective fiction story to introduce your friends to, right? Yeah. It's a short story that doesn't feel as thin as Tales from Two Pockets in the House in the Mist. If you like it and you want more of it, there's The Lady in the Lake, which he adapted a group of short stories, including this one, into. Mm. It's a fantastic introduction with a fantastic setting, a really, really colorful language, and is is perhaps the most, I guess, uplifting, though that's kind of a curious <laughs> word for it. Mm-hmm. Um it certainly has the most uh, interesting descriptions of pain of any exactly. of And that's why we love it. That's why yeah. it deserves the fourth place. So that leaves uh. Caves of Steel, Too Many Cooks, and our mysterious mystery thing, which you definitely don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. It could be anything. And we'll be discussing that as we get into review season coming up after next week's special. Yep, We're going to yep, be yep. off for about six weeks putting out two reviews of these stories in the week and we'll also mm. sit down and break down our top three because I don't think we even quite agree on those yet as we're still we get, sit look, down We're now. getting there. We're getting there. we got our mystery thing. we case Seal, Timmy Cooks. Look, there's there's three very strong contenders for first place. Let us know on social media at Flex and Herds, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter what mm. your favorite stories of the year were, get what you would rank them. But right now we're discussing No Crime in the Mountains. We'll get back, see how Herds managed to solve this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Herds. It's been a good year. It's been pretty good. I give it a I give it a six out of ten. <laughs> Slightly above average. <laughs> we are discussing no crime in the mountains. This is Flex and Herds. You're listening to Death of the Reader. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. This is your murder mystery world tour. And as we've landed back in America, uh-huh. spent, a, spent a few weeks here with Raymond Chandler, a good friend of the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's time to bid him farewell. <laughs> it's awful. Uh. We're done. We're done with Raymond Chandler, sort of. We've got about 10 minutes left with him. Precious, precious time. Precious we minutes. Spend well. Precious minutes. Um... Yeah. Herds, you have I, a question for me. I have a question for you. <laughs> it's in bold. It's in like number 48 font in bold on this page here. Where was the point? Where was it? Because I feel like that wasn't properly communicated. And I didn't even know where I would give a point in this story. So. Well, the thing is, Herds, <laughs> what I said to you last week uh-huh. was, did you agree with the solution that had been posed in chapter nine, or I did. did you not? And you agreed. I did agree. And with was it. that true, Herds? It was true. Then you have your point. There was sir. not a lie there. There was not a single lie. Here's the thing. I, I as I said, like I'm gonna be real. I'm not. A, I'm always not surprised by the way that this story went in the last five chapters. Like I literally said, it's we're just gonna chase them down, and that's it. That's exactly all that we did happened. for five chapters. Oh. We chased them around for five chapters, which was great. But like there were so many little things that I was like, I was reading through it, and I was like, wait, am I supposed to have figured out that Ted Rudy was gonna be shot in his toilet? Was I supposed to figure out that Mexico <laughs> is where the money was from? Like, this seems like it's coming out of left field. Just a bit, just a bit. And it, I mean, it was. <laughs> my my methods here, Herds, yeah. were threefold. Uh-huh. uh-huh. The first, tell me. Tell the me first was, the first was, Herds, that this is not a novel that is conducive to a conventional mystery. Not at all. As no. we spoke with John Dale in the first episode, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, Chandler is not a cozy mystery writer. He doesn't write puzzles for the sake of puzzles. No. As we spoke about in his rules, he thinks that the average mystery is the same as the average novel, but the average mystery will get published. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I thought that the crime mafia was behind the murder of, of Mr. Lacey, and I... I mean, that's basically it. Like, it's hinted towards the end that it's actually Weber mm. who did the killing, but it's even that isn't explicitly stated. And we know that the 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 heavy man who's who maybe looters and Charlie were also involved in the killing of Lacey. So it's not even clear like who was holding the gun when it happened. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter at all. Um, and that's I think is the like big takeaway that we should learn about Chandler and the way that he likes murder mysteries because he's writing. Outside of the Golden Age of Detective Fiction, he doesn't care about the specifics of, like, the puzzle. He doesn't care about the grimy details in that sense. He cares about the grimy details of, like, people and politics. That's why it's set in this, like, World War II drama. But he doesn't care, like, how many knives there are in the knife drawer. My second reason was that I thought that because it was a mystery that, you know, was a bit more open, a bit more out front, a bit more about the kind of pulpy ending. Sure. A bit more about the delivery. It's all about the friends we made along the way. Really, it is. <laughs> Sheriff is a great friend. He is a great friend. And Miss Lacey, I just want to make sure she's okay. Her no dumb dog. I that thought we love. that the only way I could realistically fool you with a mur- murder mystery this simple herds mm-hmm. was to just give you the answer and hope that you'd think I was trying to pull a twist on you. Uh huh. Um, I did not think you would fall for it, but it was the one slim chance that I yeah. had of escaping with you losing fair, a point. To be fair, you did try to bamboozle me a little bit by by egging me on and the like. What if he's not actually down? This is all a ploy and Ms. Lacey is the bad guy. And I was like, not nope, that dog. 
That dog pleaser of all blame <laughs> saved her life in the end. I did. Yes, I did. In fact, bamboozle you with the premise of the show. True. <laughs> it's the premise of the show. You're right. You fooled me to think that there would be points for deducing things, but it was really just, can you just believe what's being told to you by the story? And there we are. And the third fold reason, which is really just the previous two reasons wrapped up in a ni- nice little bundle of uh-huh. words, is that you don't always need to have a mystery to solve. It's true. Like, that's the point Chandler's making. It's the point that the points are making. Mm. It's the point that this whole crime goes into. There is a world of crime fiction outside our little golden age herds. For sure. And we've nearly reached the end of the year. This is yeah. our second last episode for the year. We're getting there. And I just wanted to I wanted to leave the audience Christmas. with a little taste of the wider world because I think next year we should we should, you know, we're gonna still touch on our favorite cozy murder mysteries. We might even open the year with some Agatha. <gasps> Oh my goodness. But then we're going to go a little wild. That sounds great to me. We're going to read us some A.B. Patterson. We're going to read us some Solari Gentle. We're going to mm. read some of the wonderful author's books that we've had on this show. Herds. Read some modern murder mysteries. That sounds exciting. Yeah. I'm in. So the question is, Herds, was this story fair? God, no, but and do I care? <laughs> was it like, was it fair in a traditional sense? No. But it was fun. It was a fun ride. It was like a roller coaster. I do think that there is still a place. And obviously, I still really, really love conventional murder mystery because, as I've said so many times on the show, one of the best parts of murder mystery is getting to the end of the book going, wait, what? Going back to the mm. start, reading it, and having it stare you in the face? Mm. You don't really get that in this novel. No. It's all in your face the whole time through. Yeah. And I do miss that on a reread in this novel. But if the novel's strong enough the first time through, you're not going to feel bad about having read it. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, there's literally at least tens of crime authors in the world, I hear. Uh, <laughs> like, everyone's going to have their own approach and everyone's going to have their own interests in crime novels. I mean, even you and I, the way that we approach crime novels is very different. Yeah. Um, and that's just something we're going to have to explore going forward. So, Herds, you've Flex. got your point. Yay, that's the main thing. <sighs> I don't oh. even know what we have to say about this story, Herds. I mean, we've we've said most of it. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward story. It's about war. It's about love. It's about chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. Coyotes, rather. It's about coyotes. Um, and it was really just a case of getting the bad guys and chasing them into a bush. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I don't want to get incredibly political about it, but I do think that a novel like this where we get to explore the frustrations of the author put into a very creative sphere sure. is a very uh, a very authentic way of looking at people's creativity because it's yeah. so often restrictions and complications that cause people to make you know works of art. It's a genre that people have such strong opinions of. For sure. Like, obviously there are strong opinions out there of pretty well every genre, but every author in the crime fiction genre seems to view themselves as an expert on the genre. Yes. And I love that they're about all it. Critique because each they're other. all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they're all critique each other and working with each other and forming little clubs and things and putting hats on and like it's beautiful. It's this little like it's this little like culture that's formed around, you know, the idea of someone being stabbed in the in the throat. Yeah. Like you'd never <laughs> see you'd never see George R. R. Martin dedicate a chapter of Game of Thrones to why Lord of the Rings was bad. Yeah. Even if the story as a whole might have some subtext about that in there. Yeah, it would it, be so explicit. Yeah. But these stories absolutely do. Yeah. Multiple times we've had authors mention other murder mysteries 
in their murder mystery, yes, yes. breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, either to lambast them or praise them or such and so forth. And it's it's, it's just such fun. a brilliant energy. Like, even the way that we got into doing this show was through a murder mystery story that was just written about murder mystery. Yeah. Which is, it's a fantastic thing that I don't think enough genres do. It's beautiful. I love the meta space. It is the perfect space to be in when discussing murder mystery fiction. And it's such an appropriate place for a genre that is so good when you go back and read it again, because that's sure. very much what the reread does. It gives you a meta appreciation mm-hmm. for the work, for its construction. But that is that is us pretty well for the year, Herds. We're done. It's Christmas time. Yes, we're going to be taking a break after next week's show, because mm. next week we're doing a special Hertz. <gasps> You've got something on board for this, I believe. Yes. You told me to hold off on throwing any more novels. What have you got for us? It's called Knives Out. It's by Ryan Johnson, who you might remember as that man you got angry at for uh, for the Star Wars. Uh, oh but dear. yeah, that film just came out uh, last week. We are going to go see that. Alrighty. We are going to give it our best. We're going to uh, watch it twice, leave the cinema halfway through. See if we can solve it before we go back in again. Sounds good to me. It sounds like a terrible idea. No, no, no. This is perfect. I'm ready. Look, we have to prove. We have to prove who is the greater mystery solver. That's how this works. I'm really excited to see what Ryan Johnson has concocted because it has phenomenal reviews. Ooh. And listen, Chris Evans in a sweater, good any day of the week if you ask me. He's a hunk. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I'm into it. I'm ready. Ryan Johnson, Chris Evans, y'all nerds, we're going to see Knives Out. Yeah, but of course, over the end of the year, we'll be away on break, but we have prepared some reviews of the Mm. books we've covered on the show this year that you'll be hearing over the break from us. So the podcast won't be absent. (laughs) Hope you enjoy those reviews. Hope you enjoy Knives Out. We uh, did record that on its opening weekend. So uh, we're jumping back in time here. Shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, but <laughs> we have a time machine here. Well, don't let anybody in the office. They'll see it. This has been No Crime in the Mountains. We are Flex and Herds. This has been your Murder Mystery World Tour for 2019. Oh, my goodness. 2020 is right around the corner. It's a new year. It's a new me. Time to solve every murder mystery that comes my way. See you on next time. Death the Reader. <laughs>